0: Hello, and welcome to Seminole Rap, a podcast about all things Florida State. I'm Tim Allenball, and today for our midweek podcast, we're going to catch up with Josh Pick from Tomahawk Nation, one of our lead recruiting writers, and we're really going to dive into the offensive side of the ball for the 2022 recruiting class. After that, we're going to talk to Kevin Little of the YouTube channel X's and Knowles, and also, of course, from Tomahawk Nation's four vertical articles. He's going to break down the Florida State game plan for Miami, give his overall thoughts on the game, and maybe reveal even where Florida State might have some success. We'll, of course, wrap it up with some notes from the presser from this week. All that and more on this week's Seminole Wrap. Up, we're only a few days before the Florida State-Miami game. Just a couple pieces of news before we jump into recruiting chat with Josh Pick. Uh, offensive tackle Jay Williams entered the transfer portal. I think he's the fourth player for Florida State in the past two weeks to enter the portal. It's clear that uh, Mike Norvell is, is, is seeing who wants to stick with his team, who wants to go through some adversity, and who has a future for Florida State. So it wouldn't shock me, if we see some other Florida State uh, players possibly enter the transfer portal over the next few weeks. Additionally, there's been a lot of smoke about Chubba Purdy and will he play against Miami. Um, it, it does look like he is practicing again with the team. I, I'm not sure yet to what extent, but I would really be shocked if he played against Miami. Um, it, it, you you want to get him fully healthy. And really save him, maybe for the back end of this schedule to see if he could make an impact. So, even though there's some smoke out there, uh, I would be pretty shocked if if Chuba took any snaps against Miami uh, on Saturday. Well, at this time though, we don't want to waste any more time. We've got a lot of uh, interview time with Kevin and Josh, so we're going to go ahead and spend a few minutes with Josh Pick to talk about offensive recruiting for 2022. All right, joining us at this time is Kevin Little from the X's and Noles YouTube channel and also from the four vertical segments on Tomahawk Nation. Kevin, how are you doing?
1: You know, I'm doing well. It's taken about a week to recover, but I think I'm back.
0: You know, we were kind of talking about it earlier. You know, it felt like, okay, FSU's got a bye week. They can't really hurt us. And then, of course, Coach Norvell has to come down with uh, a positive test for COVID. So uh, yeah, it seems about even, the luck, right? Even in the bye weeks, Florida State's still taking shots. So you've had a week to process it, Kevin, after the uh, 16-13 debacle, which was the Georgia Tech game. Do you have any more confidence in the team? How are you feeling about them?
1: It's hard. I think, I think it's easy and natural for us to all point fingers at – one player, and I don't think I'm. I've got to bring his name up, but the problems are are bigger than him. And you have drop passes. The offensive line looks better, but it's still not where it needs to be. The running backs missing holes, and I think a lot of people miss that on film. It's it's harder to see in real time action. You should check out John Marchant's got a article out on Tomahawk Nation that really dives into that pretty well. But I think there were just a lot of misfires by the personnel. Um, the coaching seemed fine. It seemed about what we should expect with such little time to prepare. There were options and opportunities that were just missed throughout the game. Uh, it's really about how we come back in the next few games to see if we improve.
0: Do you do you put the, the missing of holes and the lack of execution on the fact that they had such a short window to install the offense?
1: Those aren't easy reads. The Mike Norvell's bread and butter play is the outside zone, and that's not an easy run for a running back. It's not an easy thing to read. With a power run or a counter, there's a hole that's always there. You run it into that gap every single time. With the outside zone, it's more nebulous. There's you press to the outside and you wait till a gap opens up and it's it's a really hard read to do, and so a lack of reps is definitely attributable to that. The wide receivers dropping passes, however, is has nothing to do with mispractices.
0: <laughs> yeah. What changes can we expect to have seen in two weeks?
1: So when we saw Jordan, uh, Jordan Travis go out there, a lot of people wanted to see more of him. But if you really went through and watched those plays, there was probably three or four total concepts that they used with him. Um, mm-hmm. It seems very clear to me that there wasn't a lot of plays put in for him. He's had some sort of injury in the past few months that hasn't really been well-defined, but I'd imagine that it limits the, the plays that have been put in for him specifically to run. As you can see, his passing ability isn't up to par either. So I could imagine in two weeks, a few more packages are put in for him. I think it makes it easier on everybody if you can get a few easy yards running the ball early in a drive like we were seeing in the third and fourth quarter. Um, I think Norvell just didn't have the diversity of plays he would have liked to be able to keep someone like Jordan Travis in the game for a longer period of time.
0: So similar question, like those are the expectations that we could maybe see or the changes that we could expect. What other changes would you like to see? You personally think that they have the ability – to to place into this offense
1: if you don't know anything about miami and i'll I'll have a video about this later in the week that shows a lot of film on this if you want to check that out at x's and knolls but miami likes to bring pressure they they will blitz five and drop into like a pretty weak zone behind it Um, that's called a fire zone blitz and one of the keys to being able to beat that kind of blitz is being able to hit hot reads quickly take one or two steps Throw the ball, take one or two steps, throw the ball, move the ball downfield in chunks. And over the past three years, I think that's been one thing that's been missing. And it's hard to tell if it's James Blackman that's not being able to make those reads quickly, or we've had three straight, I guess, four straight offensive coordinators who are unable to get him to throw the ball quickly. But the ball needs to be out of his hands at the end of his drop. Like it needs to be out quickly. I think that's not too much to ask. Terry is an amazing athlete. He doesn't need to catch the ball 30 yards downfield to be effective. There are a few screens and stuff that they showed where he got the ball in his hands and was able to move downfield. I'd like to see more of that. Um, just being able to run the ball through screens, get the ball into his hands.
0: The, it should. So basically think about Jeff Sims at Georgia Tech and how they mm-hmm. had him taking basically a two to three step drop, getting the ball out. Um, that's what you were, you you want to see something like that from James Blackman and from Florida State, right?
1: Yeah, I think that's ideal. Uh, The offensive coordinator for Georgia Tech, you can watch Jeff Sims play and say, oh, he's better than James Blackman. But realistically, he's been put in a much better situation to succeed than James has been put in over the last four years. And so I'd love to see those short passing routes. Um, I'd love to see like stick routes, just the wide receiver runs three yards, turns around. That's an easy completion. Just, I think Norbell had a few of those in the script at the beginning of the game, which is the success you saw. But I think it's so easy to get away from it. And also I think James, if he has that available, there's almost always an optional deep route on every play. Like even if it's a stick play or a design short play, play you need a deep route to kind of keep the defense honest and it's an option for the quarterback to take it and my suspicion is that James is just one of those quarterbacks that is going to take it if it's even a question to be able to take it
0: I was going to ask kind of a question with that because uh, I think Adam put on the on the site earlier this week uh, a couple different clips where you see the the man's open uh, on a cross route or in the flat or even on the last offensive play of the game, Warren Thompson reads that blitz correctly and does a three or four and, and, and you know turns around and Blackman just never sees him at all. Um, is is it that James is a little too in love with the uh, with the deep ball?
1: But that's my suspicion, you know, when when you think of the best of James Blackman, you think of him hitting Keyshawn Hilton over the top or several deep routes to Terry over the past few years. And it's, I think it's kind of gotten to his head. I think the idea that he is a deep ball thrower has just become his identity and and that's what he's going to go for. And so there is, I think a little validity to the idea of any quarterback in besides James Blackman would be an improvement just because of that, just because I think that that's on him to be able to make that he's making that decision in a way that I don't think a freshman quarterback would. But I think that also ignores that he does bring some good to the game, especially in the first half of games (laughs) uh, that a freshman wouldn't be able to do for you.
0: Right. So (laughs) you're talking about aggressive defenses from Miami. Where can Florida state have success?
1: I think Florida state needs to do simple things really well. I think they need to simplify the passing game. I think they need to get the ball out quickly. Screens, slants, hitch routes, get the ball out quickly. Make Miami come up. Um, Miami loves to shoot the gap with their defensive line. Their defensive line plays fast. They play aggressive. They, They might not have the names that Florida State has, but right now their defensive line is playing better than Florida State's line because they can play aggressive. The linebackers... It's amazing how quick they flow. They'll flip their hips, they'll flow to the running back. And so because they're so aggressive in that, because they come downhill so quickly, you have to stress them with horizontal movement. So outside zones, counters, play action passes. And I think that's what you have to go to quick, quick, easy, executable, horizontal stretching plays.
0: You know, something at the at the beginning of Florida State's game against Georgia Tech is we saw a lot of motion. Um, mm-hmm. it, and then as the game went on, it really felt like Florida State went away from that. Is that something they've got to get back to to kind of put that stress on Miami's linebackers?
1: So there are two things I've, two big things I've noticed about how you want to stress, get some success in the running game. And I, the first thing is that motion, not only in jet action, which has proved to be somewhat successful against Miami's defense, but also just in changing formation pre-snap. They don't do a great job of adjusting to to unbalanced sets if you motion into it. Um, and they are, they're so aggressive coming upfield that if you can get around them, they're out of place. So you, you have to try to find an advantage any way you can, and I think that's a great way to do it.
0: There was, uh, I don't know if you saw it earlier in our Slack chat, Uh, There was a play with Lamar Jackson, which, you know, Lamar's Lamar, but uh, the Ravens ran. It was obvious that they had been running to the right, running to the right, running to the right, right, and had motion to the right. And they ran that motion to the right, and he fakes that handoff, and the whole defense is just flowing, and he's just got such a huge line to run left. You know, I just wonder if if Florida State can implement some things like that with Jordan Travis, um, with incorporating the motion and then using his legs. I don't know if that's really Norvell's style. But I I wonder if that's something, you know, that type of motion, that type of action can really help stress Miami in this game.
1: Yeah, and I think the encouraging thing about Mike Norvell that I've seen is that he is willing to diversify and change. We actually hadn't seen much jet action ever out of him, and that's what he came out with firing against Georgia Tech. So if he sees an advantage, I think he's going to try to go for it. It's just whether or not that's going to be what – what what's needed
0: so last question on the offense mike norvell is not going to be able to be on the sideline mm. against miami uh, i haven't heard for sure if he's going to try to coach remotely <laughs> uh you know or, or fool hugh freeze or you know whatever it might be i know that kenny kenny's not really kenny, kenny's the offensive coordinator but he's not really the offensive coordinator because mike's calling the plays how much of an impact do you, do you think this is going to have on the game
1: yeah, it'll be interesting because Kenny has never really been in a position to call plays. Uh, he's he hasn't been that play caller. I, I think he's been in a supportive role, but he's been in he's been with Norvell for a while. I believe he was at Auburn with Mal, Malzahn. Yep. He's been around great play callers. You can say what you want about both of those coaches; they know how to call plays, and um, I think I think it's time for him to shine. Time for him to step up. I think there's an art to it. I think that there is probably a learning curve. And the good news is you can have Norvell write a script that's long enough that it could probably last you at least a quarter. And at that point, um, it's three quarters of the game that Dillingham's going to have to put on his, on his shoulders. But like I said, I, I think that this playbook isn't nearly as big as it will be in a year. Right. Yeah, just because of the short install and it's going to definitely affect things, but I, I, I wouldn't just lower. I wouldn't just, if it was going to be a close game to begin with, I wouldn't say that it's going to make a huge difference.
0: This is uh, this is naive fan speak right here. So feel free to just squash it completely. But being that Dillingham's going to be a little bit of an unknown, does that give them a little bit of an advantage in that there's no tendencies to look towards, uh, there's a little bit more element of surprise from the Florida State offense, or you, do you think it's still going to be the standard? I, I know the script from Mike Norvell, but from there on out, they're still going to stick to the plays that Florida State's always going to run under Mike Norvell.
1: Um, you know, you might see a different, slightly different flavor with Dillingham, but it, it's it's just conjecture at this point. You know. Yeah, he could just be like an air raid guy at heart, and just start throwing the ball around the field. You know, you never know. But I, I kind of doubt it. What, you know,
0: I know that's what you hope.
1: <laughs> More likely than not, if he went to Malzahn, he probably likes running the ball. So
0: right. Okay, <laughs> let's go to the other side of the ball. Let's go to defense. Uh, probably the area that felt that felt the most disappointing after Georgia Tech, because you were expecting. I mean. Sixteen points is still good. They gave up a lot more yards than you would like, uh, but they definitely have room to improve. So, kind of same same outline on the defense. What expect or what changes um, are you expecting uh, since the Georgia Tech game?
1: So, on the defensive side of the ball, I would imagine the biggest differences have to come in personnel. So, who performed well? Who performed? Who didn't perform well? The short side of the field corner, the commonly called the boundary corner, um, is always the same person in Norvell's scheme. So you won't see like them switching spots. But whoever's playing that short side of the field was getting torched in the last game. And so I think there's a lot of personnel that needs to be mixed up and played around with until you get until you get something you're happy with. And so the linebackers are a similar deal. You saw Amari Gaynor step up, but some of the young guns are just a little bit slow. And so hopefully you can just work on getting them to trigger downfield, be aggressive. Miami's really not going to try to trick you. They're just gonna try to beat you. And so you need to you need to match their aggressiveness with aggressiveness.
0: Was was that Jerrion Jones at the boundary corner?
1: Yeah, he played a lot of the game. You saw a little Lakeem Dent in there and both of them got thrashed they were they were the targets for most of the plays
0: i wonder if if dotson is healthy and back if we'll see him maybe maybe even travis jay come in some um, yeah
1: you you've got to hope that there's another answer because based of what we saw last saturday there there wasn't a good answer
0: so saying that what are the expectations that you or what are the changes that you could hope to See this game that you would like to see besides just the change of corner.
1: I'd like to see a little bit more aggressiveness by Fuller. Um, I, he did blitz a fair amount in the game, but Louisville's whole strategy going into this game against this past game against Miami was on third and longs you're going to sit back and you're going to make to Eric King throw the ball over your head, and they didn't think he could do it, and he did. Um, And so I'd like to not retread those same mistakes. (laughs) I'd like for us to bring pressure. Louisville seems the most successful when they were being aggressive. And so if it, if it means making your, making your linebackers blitz all the time to get them to trigger and to actually be a presence in the game, then do that. Just allow them to play free, allow them to make fast mistakes because that's better than allowing them to make than making them make slow mistakes.
0: Death by a thousand cuts type. Yeah. <laughs> um, we still don't know the, an update on Joshua Kendo as of the time that we're recording this. Yep. My assumption is that he's probably not playing. Mm-hmm. I, I would love to be wrong, um, but we we just don't we just don't really have a firm update there. Um, do you think we'll see Gainer coming off the edge more? Um, I know that's not really. The position that he's there for um but he did flash uh, a couple times against georgia tech what what do you think we'll see there from the defensive end spot
1: yeah i think gainer is definitely an interesting option he's got the build to look like a really athletic defensive end and honestly we didn't have much of a pass rush at all our <laughs> defensive line that's supposed to be like top five in the country wasn't producing. And I know that Kando is a big reason for pass rush, but you have to have an answer behind him. Uh, Robinson wasn't getting a rush. And so if if Gainer can come in and provide that pass rush, I think that's huge.
0: You know, I'll be curious because from what I've watched, you don't see near as many like two-step drops from Miami as Mm -hmm. like you saw against Georgia Tech. I'll be curious to see... If the interior defensive line gets more pressure this game, because Miami's taking maybe a deeper drop or trying to let a play develop, although I think uh, Dear King's much more dangerous than Jeff Sims uh, if you if you flush <laughs> him out. So it's a little bit of uh, dang if you do, dang if you don't. But I, I am curious to see if we see an improvement in that area.
1: Miami loves these little RPOs, and they they've gotten pretty creative with it. They both run mesh a lot between Georgia Tech and Miami. That's a very commonly run play between the two of them. But for the most part, they keep it pretty simple. I would like to see us be a little bit more aggressive um, and just make him make accurate throws against man coverage. Because um, you're right, when he can step back and have has time in the pocket, he's a much better quarterback than people give him credit for. And so I would say don't let him beat you like that. Make him make quick decisions. Put, please put a quicker person as a linebacker to spy on him because Steven Dix cannot spy on this guy. Like he could not keep up with Jeff Sims. There's no way he's keeping up with King.
0: Right. And I know people like to knock uh, King for his height, but that helps out when he's scrambling or he's behind that line because he's hard to see.
1: He's and, hard to see.
0: And makes him a lot more elusive and if, if Dix or whoever triggers to the wrong lane. I mean, he's going to be gone.
1: Yeah. It's, it'll just be cruel to put a freshman linebacker as a spy on him it'll just make, make him look worse than he is. <laughs>
0: <laughs> right. Um, speaking of the aggressiveness, do you, I know you're talking about the linebackers moving faster or different things like that. What about the secondary? Do you expect them to still play with as much of a bubble as it seemed like they had? or do you expect or do you expect them to press more
1: that's just that's kind of how fuller plays defense um unfortunately he doesn't press a ton um so i don't really expect a monumental change in that i think that uh i think it's going to work for some teams and not work against others and so I think, I think you're probably going to see a lot of the same like scheme wise. I don't Mm -hmm. think you're going to, you should expect him to just automatically start pressing hard, especially with the talent that Miami brings on offense. Uh, I think he's going to try to limit the score of the game instead of limit the yards of the game. And you kind of saw how that worked against Georgia Tech.
0: Okay. Um, Is there an area on defense that Florida State has the advantage?
1: Yeah, I mean, theoretically, the defensive line is an advantage. Uh, They look like they're playing in their heads right now and not playing on the field. Mm -hmm. Um, So if you can get them to come downfield harder, shoot gaps harder, uh, let them play more naturally. um, I would say that a big thing of why they didn't flash last game is because they just didn't look like they knew where they were supposed to be going. And so Miami runs a pretty simple running game. They're pretty much... 90% Ninety percent of their runs are just an inside zone running play. So if you can just be aggressive and push up field, you might could shut down their, their running game, their designed running game, but Cameron Harris uh their running back is is a complete stud. So that's easier said than done.
0: Right. And a name that Florida State fans are probably familiar with, Jalen Knighton is a is a nice uh is a nice one two punch uh, that comes yes. that comes off there. Yeah.
1: Yeah, they definitely have talent in the backfield and out wide. I, I, I can't finish this without talking about Brevin Jordan, who is <laughs> like people want to talk about Derek King, but Brevin Jordan is is a stud. He's He's really talented. He's their tight end, but they'll put him at slot receiver. He can basically do everything. And so if you want to know what's happening on a play, look for number nine. He's probably getting the ball about 50% of the time.
0: And he torched Louisville last night.
1: He did. <laughs> um,
0: and I, I fear he's going to torch Florida State as well. But, <laughs> all right, final, final question here. Um, what does Florida State have to do to win this game?
1: Florida State has to put pressure on King, make him take his eyes off the downfield throw, and contain him on defense. So all of that's easier said than done. Right. Right. But I would – I wouldn't be afraid to let Brett and Jordan do what he does. Just don't let Derek King throw the ball downfield. Um, don't let him scramble around. Don't let him run around. On offense, I would say you need to get the ball out quick. You need to move the ball downfield. You need to keep your defense off the field for as long as possible, because the more plays that you allow, Rhett Lashley and this, who's the offensive coordinator run, they're going to run really fast paced. The more that happens, I mean, Robert Cooper, Mar- Marvin Wilson, Corey Durden, they're not going to be able to last all game. You know, they're going to have their hands on their hips in the second drive. So you need to stay on the field. You need to work the ball downfield and you need to slow this game down on offense.
0: Uh, so on defense, a little bit of like the old pistol Pete Maravich defense, where you just let him get his and just shut down everybody else.
1: Yeah, honestly, Brevin Jordan's gonna get his there's no person you can put on him that's gonna be able to to defend him on all levels of the field. Right? You put a you put a defensive back on him, he's going to block him. Mm-hmm. And they're just gonna run the ball on you. You put a you put a linebacker on him and he's gonna be faster than him in, him in in the field and run routes on him all day. So
0: Okay, I lied. One more question. <laughs> what's your what's your final prediction?
1: Oh, I think I think Miami wins by two touchdowns. Um, and that's that's a homer bet. Um the the two touchdowns. So I I don't think we're gonna be able to stop them. I think they're gonna win 35-21. And that's that's me being generous.
0: Yeah, I don't I don't think we'll score 21. I don't know.
1: No. Uh <laughs> I think their defense is a little bit bend bend don't break, so we might be able to to catch a little a few breaks here and there. Um, so And I think our offense never looks as bad as it did last week. So we'll see.
0: (laughs) All right, Kevin. So what do you got coming this week on Tomahawk Nation and on your YouTube channel?
1: So this week early on, we're going to record a four verticals where we dive a little bit deeper using some film of what we would like to see as a group. Um, I know you guys heard a little bit of what I think, but you'll hear some smarter people get to give their impressions of where Florida State can go from this first game, and how they can prepare for Miami, and then later this week, I, I'm doing a series where I get to dive deep into every player, every team's scheme, um, and just really look at what they do as a team. And hopefully, I get to teach you guys a concept or two about football along the way. So that's that's really my my baby, my bread and butter. So check it out.
0: All right, you can catch Kevin on his YouTube channel, X's and Knowles, also on Twitter at X's and (laughs) Knowles, and of course on Tomahawk Nation in the four verticals uh, segments. So, Kevin, always a pleasure. Look forward to talking to you again probably in about a week. Uh, Hopefully uh, we've got some positive, some positive things to talk about.
1: (laughs) Fingers crossed. (laughs) Thanks, Kevin. Yep, thank you.
0: At this time, we're joined by Josh Pick from Tomahawk Nation. Josh, how you doing today?
2: Uh, doing well, Tim. Uh, thanks for having me, man.
0: Yeah, Josh, uh, I think if anybody's familiar with the Tomahawk Nation website, they should be familiar with your name as you are all over the site with several articles. But I wanted to see if you just want to take a minute, talk about what you do for the site and uh, whatever else you'd like to share there.
2: Yeah, well, I've been with TN, gosh, I don't even know. Probably sometime around the national championship season, Bud brought me on and for a while there i was just mostly behind the scenes and kind of when tn 2.0 happened i decided that i would take on a larger role and that kind of coincided with the whole covid thing and my job taking a little back seat and i had more time on my hands so i started kind of leading the recruiting efforts at tammack nation and it's uh it's been a great opportunity with a great team uh david and yourself and adam uh i don't know i don't I'm not sure that anyone could find a better team on the Florida state beat as far as recruiting goes.
0: I I think most of us that that work with you think you're some kind of robot or machine because you put out interviews and articles and updates. It seems like 24 seven. So how you're able to maintain that. uh, I definitely applaud that. Uh, I humbly
2: accept whatever you guys want to call
0: me, but uh, (laughs) I'm just trying to do my job. You know, like Bill Belichick says, do your job. There you go. Well, Bill checks a robot also, so that that, that, that checks out. So, <laughs> But one of the main things that you've been doing a lot lately is uh, anytime there's a 2022 offer or uh, if Florida State's really paying a lot of attention to a, a recruit, you, you try to reach out, make contact, and do interviews. So I wanted to see if we could just focus on that for a few minutes. Um, and the main thing I want to look at was as of September 1st, leading up to it, we saw several recruits tweeting about this day being an important day. And then September 1st came and we really saw a blitz from the FSU uh, recruiting staff. Why was that date so important for the 2020, 2022 kids? And uh, what were the efforts we really saw FSU put in there?
2: Yeah. September 1st, it was, it was crazy. It was for like a month leading up to it. It was everything I saw on when I'm on the Tomlake nation, Twitter following these recruits and it's on the timeline. It's like, can't wait till September 1st. Can't wait till September 1st when coaches will really show you know, if it's true or not, you know, you can offer before them, but coaches can't initiate the contact. So these recruits are waiting to see who, you know, you can, you can offer me, you can talk a great game, but once the tournament first comes, you're really going to be able to show me, do you really care? And so that, that came at midnight and recru- recruits started getting contacted by coaches and the recruiting staff, you know, led by K camp over at Florida state sent out these incredible graphics. And, and it's just amazing the quantum leap that's been made at Florida State in the graphics department. I mean, they went from being one of the worst to legitimately, I would say, one of the handful of best re- graphic teams in the entire nation, and
0: uh, it's shown in their recruiting efforts. It definitely looks like it's become a priority. Where in the past it was just kind of an afterthought, and and they definitely have put out some some, for lack of a better words, just cool graphics that it's appealing to the kids. It's something that it's not just generic. Uh, they're really getting creative with that. Is there is there one in particular that you've seen from Florida State that the style is like your favorite?
2: Uh, not necessarily, but talking about that nine nine one date, and it was just interesting to see some of the kids that Florida State prioritized, and and some of the different things they did for certain kids, and it was really neat just to kind of see some of the different ones. Um, it's really cool, like, with the legacy thing, and you see Marvin Jones and his kid on the same graphic and just two incredible athletes, and hopefully that legacy can continue in Tallahassee.
0: <laughs> that, that really was a cool graphic, but let's kind of start there. Like, so you mentioned Marvin Jones, but let's talk about the 2022 class. If you wouldn't mind just kind of going position by position, um, it, you know, as long as time allows for you, who do you think that Florida State is making a priority and just maybe just a couple of thoughts there, you know, what's your confidence level?
2: Yeah, well, I mean, obviously I've got to start with David's guy, Julian Armella, right off the top. And <laughs> I think everybody that that's on Tomahawk Nation has been in the recruiting threads for a couple of years now. It's just been Julian Armello, Julian Armella, the savior of Florida State, basically the, you know, top offensive tackle target. And And Florida State's not taking it for granted, which is very nice to see because – A lot of times you see this and it's, oh, you know, his dad went to Florida State and he grew up a Florida State fan. So he's basically in the bag and and we don't really have to pay that much attention to him. But when I've talked to Julian, it's, Hey, Florida State's not taking me for granted. Coach Alex Atkins has done a great job of making me priority, constantly texting me and talking to me. And, and, and and Florida State's really putting in that effort. And that's great to see because Julian Armella can be a cornerstone left tackle for Florida State. The kid has an incredible work ethic and I think he's, He's got the mentality that you want. He's got, he's got that alpha
0: mentality that you want as, as your left tackle. I mean, that's crazy to think that he could come in as a true freshman and start at left tackle. But, I mean, Florida State's really struggling there. I mean, I could definitely see him coming in and, and they maybe shift Darius Washington inside or over to right tackle. Uh, but either way, I think he's a starting tackle, one of the spots. And if he's left tackle, I mean, he, he's not going to be any worse than what we've seen.
2: Yeah, I mean, no offense to Darius Washington. I like that kid. I like his upside, but he's not Julian Armella. That kid's that kid's a freak. And I think you give him just more time in a college strength and conditioning, and you get him a chance to to learn under someone like Alex Atkins, and and that kid's going to be a starting left tackle. I mean, it's it's just a he's a stud, but also you know the the depth chart at Florida State's not exactly blowing you blowing you over. <laughs> exactly. What other offensive tackles should Florida State fans be aware of? Uh, there's a kid from Memphis, Alou Ba, and this kid is a huge kid, and and he loves Florida State. He loves Coach Atkins. Um, obviously, it's not a cinch. Uh, Tennessee, you know, he's from Memphis, Tennessee. Offered him last September. They were one of the first programs to offer him. So Tennessee's going to be tough to beat. But after Florida State offered him in April, Jimbo and Texas A and M offered him, USC offered him, Ohio State offered him, Oklahoma offered him, Florida offered him, and Notre Dame offered him. So. You know, Florida State was on him early, and this kid's obviously a stud because all the top programs in America want him. And the good thing about Alouba is that he's from Memphis. You know, he, he's familiar with the, Mike Norvell and and that coaching staff. And, you know, there's a lot of kids in Memphis, this 2022 class, that are studs. And I, I kind of put four of them together, and Alouba is one of them, but Dallin Hayden's another one. He's a running back. He's an absolute stud. He started off the season on a tear. His dad might be familiar to some people. His name's Aaron. He played in the NFL for a little bit after being at Tennessee. So that's another kid that you got to look out for with Tennessee. I think both those kids, it's it's a Florida State-Tennessee-Ohio State battle early on. But I think if, if Florida State can get Bob, maybe he can be the, the ringleader for those kids to all come there. Uh, the next kid from Memphis is an athlete, Cody Jones, who Marcus Woodson's on. Um, I think they probably like him at defensive back. He could play running back. He could play anything. You know, he's a four-star athlete. And then the final one's Cameron Miller. And Cameron Miller is a four-star wide receiver on the composite list. And Mike Norville was actually the first one to offer him when he was at Memphis. And then his next offer came from Coach Yak, uh, David Johnson at Tennessee. And then when uh, the new staff came to Florida State, they offered him in March. And since then, Michigan's offered, Alabama's offered, Auburn's offered, and Penn State. So that kid's obviously a stud as well. And so, I mean, if, if Florida State can make some, some noise in Memphis' upcoming class, that'd be incredible.
0: I didn't realize there were that many talented, you know, top tier guys out there. And uh, that would be a a huge coup for this, for this uh, staff.
2: Yeah. I mean, even if you can land two of those four, you're thinking, wow, like that's, that's, you know, two four stars building up that roster and and continuing to just build that pipeline in Memphis.
0: Yeah. Um, Another guy from the offensive tackle that I wanted to bring up was Dane Shore. Yeah. Uh,
2: Dane Shore, is someone that, that FSU has been on. And, and unfortunately for Dane, he, uh, he just had shoulder surgery. Uh, fortunately for him, it was done by world-renowned physician Dr. James Andrews, but uh, after transferring to IMG, he got hurt and, and now he's going to miss the season, so that stinks for him, but he likes Florida State a lot, and, and Coach Atkins likes him as a potential offensive tackle down the road, so he's definitely a name to keep in mind.
0: Are there any other players that are kind of like that hybrid could be offensive tackle, could be offensive guard that Florida State's looking at?
2: Well, uh, Kanaya Charlton's just a massive kid from Georgia, and and fortunately, Florida State was able to get him on campus just before the, the dead period was enacted. And, and he named Florida State as leader. We we've got an article on Tomahawk from I don't know, right before the dead period it was enacted. We got it, we got articles on almost all these kids, honestly. So you can go back and, and check out these names once this comes out. We've got profiles with most of them and, and some things have changed, but there's a lot of good information on them. And and Kadan Charlton, I think, is is probably a guard. He's just a huge kid, but really, really talented and and after Florida State offered, it was the same thing where Coach Atkins offered, and now he's got offers from absolutely everybody. But Florida State's his leader. He's an absolute stud from Georgia and and would be a nice piece to have in the interior of the offensive line.
0: Okay, so sticking there at the interior offensive line, uh, do you have any other names?
2: Uh, Colin Sadler's a kid from South Carolina that Florida State recently offered. I'm not sure how heavily Florida State's on him just because I think they're probably – Focused more on offensive tackle, and there and there are more offensive tackles that Coach Atkins and Florida State are going after. Um, I'm not really sure what they're what they're thinking of doing on the interior, but as far as offensive tackles again, um, a couple kids from Duncanville, a powerhouse out in Texas that that Coach Atkins is on, um, Cameron Williams, Big Cam, and uh, Jalen Early, and I talked to both those kids, and Cam's been posting some of the graphics, and I said, I. Message Jay when I said as has Florida State been on you he goes oh yeah and just kind of laughed like every day so that's just really nice to see Coach Atkins you know he can coach but that dude can really stink and recruit and he's you know he's not going to let anything get past him if, if if they lose a battle it's not going to be because he didn't try hard enough that kid's putting in, I mean that guy's putting in the effort on every single top notch recruit that Florida State's after um, and just three three more kids I wanted to mention one of them. You actually just wrote an article on top. his top 12 list, Gunnar Givens, one of the absolute studs at offensive tackle from up in Virginia. Um, I mean, I wouldn't say Florida State's his leader or anything like that, but just, just being in the mix at this point in the game is a good thing. And, and again, I messaged him and said, you know, back after September 1st and said, Florida State been in contact? He goes, oh yeah, Coach Atkins is always in touch with me. And a couple more that Florida State made the top 12 for Will Campbell out of Louisiana, so I, you know, I'm assuming that's an LSU battle. But again, nice to be in the top twelve. And then Addison
0: Nichols is a kid from Georgia, who Florida State made the top twelve for as well. It's uh, I have the uh, the composite rankings pulled up, and it's like I'm just going looking at the top ten offensive tackles, and it's like you're you're naming like every other player from there. So it's it's awesome to see that Florida State, you know, is at least in, in in the running for these guys early on. Yeah. Uh, so, one, one more, one more sorry, kid, sorry. just
2: that I, that I wanted to mention, and, and it, it kind of hurt my feelings when I, I messaged him. I'm like Zach Rice, like kid, another kid from Virginia who's an absolute stud and just blowing up. I was like Zach, like what's up? FSU on you? He goes, nah, man. I'm like, yeah. I think they realize that that's going to be too hard to pull, and they don't want to waste their efforts on a kid like that. And and it's unfortunate, but it's 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 good to see that that Coach Atkins has his priorities and realizes who they have a legitimate shot with, and and they're not going to waste time on. You know, like a Willie Taggart wasting time on Evan Neal, and he's not giving FSU the time of day.
0: <laughs> Zach Rice, number one offensive tackle in the nation. Yeah, so fat chance of him coming to Florida State, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, let's go to the skill positions on, on the offense. Uh, well, let me let me just let me just jump to quarterback really quickly okay,
2: because sure. I think that's you know obviously that's an issue at Florida State right now, and it's nice to have someone like Luca Altmar coming in in the twenty one class, but um, that's that's to me. You got to you got to fill that tackle role, but then you got to get that quarterback. And okay. and I think the number one target there is Nico Marchiol out of Arizona, kid that transferred from high school in Colorado. And 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 Kenny Dillingham is all over this kid, and and this kid loves Florida State. Recently released this top list, and there's a lot of teams that really aren't on his top. You know, they're in the list, but Florida State's one that's actually in the list of finalists. And I think if he had to release a top three, Florida State would be on there. I think at the end of the day that's the kid that Florida State is targeting number one and I think that's the kid that they'll end up landing. Um, the other kid that they're really heavily involved with is MJ Morris out of Georgia, kid that just transferred from Carrollton to Pace and uh, a four-star stud but I think it's it's a realistic thing. Florida State realizes they have a much more realistic chance of landing Nico than they do of landing MJ so they're, they're focusing more of their priorities on Nico than MJ although MJ would be beautiful option if they're able to get him but i think he's more of a georgia florida maybe auburn or or clemson clemson hasn't offered him yet but i think he likes clemson a lot and then and just one more quarterback to mention and there's a lot of talk of ty simpson because mike norvell and ty simpson's dad had a relationship from when norvell was at memphis and simpson's dad's a coach in tennessee and i've been touching base with ty simpson he said nah he said florida state's not recruiting me at all so he's an absolute stud but i think that's another situation where it's like how big a chance do you really think you have of getting someone like a Ty Simpson and, and Florida state realized they have a better chance with maybe a lesser ranked player, but still a stud and someone like Nico Marciol And so if you're a Florida state fan, you just hope that Ty Simpson doesn't go to Clemson and, and be a thorn in the side for a while there.
0: I mean, it's not like Clemson doesn't have quarterbacks to spare at this point.
2: Yeah. But, <laughs> but knowing them, it's like, Oh, we'll just land Ty Simpson. Too.
0: <laughs> exactly.
2: So yeah, going to, going to skill positions, uh, Tight end's one that I think, you know, we've talked about pretty much ad nauseum at TN and the four vertical staff have talked about how big the tight end is in Mike Norvell's offense. And Chris Thompson and Mike Norvell have obviously made a priority. They've already landed a couple in the 21 class and maybe going after a third and someone like River Helms. But uh, as far as the 22 class is concerned, obviously you got Jake Johnson, who's Brad Johnson's son, who was the first 22 tight end that they offered. And he's not really on social media, so it's tough to tell, like, you know, how heavily invested Florida State is with him. But the one the one kid is basically the number one tight end in, in America in my mind is Donovan Green out of Texas. And uh Florida State sent out a, a specialty edit to the, to him on September 1st. And he's really into designing shoes and whatnot. And Florida State sent him a really, really cool edit on like Donovan de- designing shoes and Florida State in the background and all the Florida State Nike shoes. And uh if they could somehow pull Donovan Green, that'd be amazing. Um Another kid that is kind of a tweener. He's a big wide receiver in a Kelvin Benjamin mode, or maybe morphing into a tight end is Jaleel Skinner out of South Carolina. And the interesting thing there is Jaleel Skinner is trained by Bryce McGowan's dad. And Bryce McGowan's is one of the top basketball commitments to Florida State in the class of 21. And so uh, Coach McGowan's dad is definitely putting a push push in for Florida State. So that's good to see. And then obviously uh, Joshua Burrell being a, 21 kid from South Carolina coming to Florida State as a wide receiver is putting the push on on Skinner as well so that's nice to see on that
0: that's a it's a really cool connection there yeah uh, I was McGowan. like
2: I was you know I've been following coach McGowan's he uh, played college football and so like he knows the game and I just actually interviewed him for talking about Bryce and so following him on Twitter and going back and forth messaging each other and I was like oh this dual Skinner kid like he's blowing up and then Florida State offered him and I was like oh, okay like Florida State might have a pretty decent little in right there, so I'm not sure what Florida State has planned for him if they if they see him as a big tight end, a big uh, wide receiver in the Kelvin Benjamin role, or if they see him in a tight end role. But either way, landing a kid like that would be nice.
0: Yeah, uh, those those kids that have those skills that they can be either really make matchup problems for defense.
2: Yeah, I mean, he could be a big, big blocking wide receiver, huge target in the in the red zone, or you know. Be a tight end, be a more athletic tight end. So that's a it's a can't lose proposition for me.
0: Okay, so other wide receiver names.
2: Uh, Brandon Thompson is a kid out of Texas that Coach Dillingham is all over, and and this kid's another kid that his season's underway and he's just blowing up, and I think he's just going to take off. He's a speedster, plays offense defense, but I think Florida State probably likes him at wide receiver. I think that they would uh love to love to land him. Um, another kid from Texas. It actually has a connection with Nico. He's a really – he's tight with Nico. He's Armani Winfield. He's a four-star wide receiver out of Texas. So that's a name to keep an eye on, especially if Florida State's able to land. The commitment from Nico and then one more from, from California is C.J. Williams, and it's the same situation where he, he's tight with Nico Marchiol. So maybe landing someone like a Nico could could bring in some of these kids from out of state at, at the wide receiver position. Definitely and then – uh, I'm
0: sorry, go ahead. Go, no, go ahead really seems like there's some, some players that they're targeting that they feel like can be uh, those, those big time recruiters, uh, you know, that are, that are players, not really relying on the staff, but relying on those vocal guys to really bring in other, uh, other studs.
2: Yeah, they know they've got a great recruiting staff, but it, it's, it's great when you can get players that'll help you recruit. And, and someone like in the tribe 21 is Joshua Burrell, that is just all over any possible forest eight target. And that's great to see. And and I think, you know, there's a lot of connections in this Tribe 22 potential class that that could go a long way in helping helping to bring the, the class together and, and bringing a top 10
0: class. Uh, I think I interrupted you. There was one other name you were going to bring up there.
2: Yeah, it, it's Kojo Antwi is a, is a four-star wide receiver from Georgia. And he's actually buddies with Florida State commit, Travis Hunter, the do-everything stud, defensive back who also – looks like he could be a five-star wide receiver from some of his early season highlights and I talked to Kojo a while back and he was like yeah Travis is really really pushing for me to join him down in Tallahassee so that's always good to see
0: I love watching our uh, following Travis Hunter because he's all over everybody to come to Florida State
2: yeah yeah you meant we mentioned Travis Hunter and a couple more DBs who are actually down at IMG together now safety Kamari Wilson and cornerback Daylon Everett who was in Virginia and transferred down to IMG like if Florida State could land Travis Hunter with Kamari Wilson, Dalen Everett, watch <laughs> out, man! That would be a sick backfield. Uh,
0: let's uh, let's wrap up the offense real quick with running back.
2: Yeah, running back's a, a position that I'm not really sure what Florida State's doing there. I mean, there's a lot of talented kids, and I and honestly, I, I just don't think it's as big a priority, just because I feel like you've seen with. Coach Norvell is that he can find wide receivers and put him at running back. And I just don't think that white uh running backs is big a priority. Uh there's a kid in Georgia, Damari Alston. I'd say Florida's probably his early leader. Damari Alston said Florida State's been on him heavily. He'd be a stud. James Joyner a kid down in Arkansas, so Florida State. Obviously, Coach Norvell has got connections down there. Uh he's been posting a bunch of graphics from Florida State. I talked to Gavin Sawchuk, a kid who's out in Colorado he said coach Yaks texting him all the time the, the, the graphics staff is sending him stuff so I don't know there's there's just kind of kids all over and I think you know you're seeing it in tribe 21 that that running back's not as big a priority for
0: this staff and it might be the same in tribe 22 honestly that's interesting uh, I mean I'm sure some other names will emerge and yeah I mean it's it, still super early right right way early Uh, but it'll be interesting to see what they do at the running back position. Well, Josh, I really appreciate you jumping in and sharing the offensive uh, future or possibly future for Florida State. Um, Thanks for jumping on. And and next week we're going to catch up and go on the defensive side of the ball with you. So, Josh, again, thanks so much for, for sharing your insight with us. Sounds good, Tim. Thanks, my man. All right. Talk to you next week.
3: We are joined by our young Ward, our young superstar. You know the name. You know just that if you want to hear FSU baseball, you go to him. But we'll get to the FSU baseball. We're going to be in Uncharted Waters here, but it's not Uncharted Waters because Brett has been killing it on the football side as well. Brett, how are you?
4: I'm good. How are you? Lightning got that win.
3: Yes, Lightning got that win. It was beautiful. You know, it is the one source of joy sports-wise as a Tampa Bay fan, then I've gotten Though, you know, that's a little bit too early to say because you know race. Anyways, Brett, baseball is back. You're, he's he's smiling because this band has been craving baseball in a way that only a 7 year old can crave America's pastime. Brett, break down, you know, the latest in FSU baseball.
4: The official first fall team practice today was today, Wednesday afternoon. So they got back at it. And uh, in normal years, they have 45 days to complete 28 practices, team practices, but due to all the changes this year and the fact that they could have a break due to coronavirus, it's just, they have however many days they need to complete 28 practices. So they basically have till Thanksgiving break when all the students are sent home. So that got kicked off today. And they have had to make some changes where they have, they just have shifts of kids can they being in the locker room, they can't just be in the locker room wherever they want. So they had they've had a couple weeks to adjust, just with uh, just workouts, not practices. But now they're finally got cleared to go and practice and get at it. So I know all the coaches are really excited about what they have this year. I mean, they could almost fill a whole NFL roster with 48 guys. But uh, you know, Mike Martin Jr. Has told me that even that number is on been on the low side of what he's heard from other teams and other SEC schools, other ACC schools have even more guys on their roster sometimes. So it's not something that's super crazy or super out there right now, with all these kids coming back, but, you know, FSU has got a ton of talent coming back this year. So the pitching staff's probably still going to be strength of the team. They lost their top, probably top three guys. They lost CJ and I, Shane Rohan and Antonio Velez. So they'll be replacing those guys, but they've got a lot of kids coming in and they've got the freshmen from last year that, are probably going to start to step up and fill other roles. So going into the fall, it sounds like Parker Messick is going to be their top guy, their Friday guy. That's been the plan going in, but things can always change in the fall. And then a name that not many people know of is Hunter Perdue, who was a Juco transfer last year and was going to be a top round pick before he came to FSU, but he had Tommy John surgery. So he was out last year, redshirted. Now he's back this year and supposed to be fully healthy this fall. So will be another guy that competes for a weekend spot. And then of course, Carson Montgomery, highest rated pitcher recruit to ever come in and he'll, he'll compete for a weekend spot too. But they got about six guys going for two or well, really all three spots are open. So they got six guys going for that. And then lineup wise, they got their whole starting lineup coming back this year. So they should be set there, but they still have some few position battles going on and, Things can always change with some veterans and injuries and all that stuff. So you never know what's really going to happen there. But one guy that has a big fall ahead of him is Reese Albert. You know, last year he didn't get to, he didn't get to practice or or see live at bats or anything like that in the fall, coming out of shoulder surgery. And then he only had a few weeks to get ready for the season in the spring. everybody saw that slow start he had where his timing just wasn't off and he couldn't catch up with fastballs and, you just kind of see it going through his head and just like couldn't get it until that very last few days of the season there where he started to click. So a full fall for him will be really big and getting his timing down. And then, yeah, they've got a couple infield position battles and probably a DH position battle. But other than that, I'd say you'd see mostly the same as last year. uh, Top of the order and that stuff probably be just around the same as last year, except for maybe a Juco guy or two filling in some roles there.
3: And then so something you mentioned was a bunch of players who could have been top draft picks or at least plausibly gone to the league had the season not been delayed at the draft. Everything happened. Literally I could do a laundry list of the ridiculous that's gone on. How has that overall benefited FSU and then also just the drawbacks there, you know, recruiting wise and also just scholarship wise.
4: Yeah. So they, so when the, they have not many people know that sophomores can get drafted in baseball. So if you're, I believe it's 20 and if you're 45 days within turning 21 years old, it doesn't matter how many years you've been playing. So they had a few sophomore draft eligible guys, uh, Elijah Cabell, Matthew Nelson, Nando DeSainas, and then Reese Albert, um, likely would have been drafted from the juniors. I believe those are the four guys that, probably would have gotten drafted in a normal year or even in a 10 round draft. So they benefited in getting a lot of pieces back that they didn't expect to get back. But on the backside of that, they had brought in, they'd recruited a lot of Juco guys that they'd recruited to fill those spots. So then they had to let a couple of Juco guys go, but things are already starting to even themselves out. And even this upcoming M will be drafted next year. It's going to be a normal twenty to forty round. They don't know exactly yet, but it's going to be where they're expecting like ten to twelve guys to go, and then they'll have other guys. Um, I mean, kids will graduate. They'll have they'll still have all that going through, so they still expect to get back. Not maybe not to that thirty-five number that it's usually, but so in baseball usually it's a roster cap at thirty-five and a scholarship cap of twenty-eight partial scholarships. This year, there's no roster cap and the scholarship cap is 32. So they're probably around that 32 number right now. They'll probably bring down that 48 a little bit, not on purposefully, but just with attrition and everything that goes on. With kids' freshman years, you know, nobody has a great freshman fall year usually, and we've all been through it. So, you know, you adjust to the college, things happen. You get to Tallahassee, things happen. So, There's, they'll have attrition there, but the roster will it will pan out by next year, I think, just with the draft and they'll have kids graduate. You know, the other thing was they got to bring back three seniors. That 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 was another thing that really helped them. They'll get Chase Haney back, and as as important as Chase is on the field, there's no bigger impact off the field. I don't think of any FSU athlete that than Chase Haney has. He's a kid that always puts up good grades, always. is Working in the community, and he just sets an example for all those guys. And then, you know, Clayton Kwiatkowski, they are bringing in four lefty freshmen, so that gives that will give all those four lefty freshmen that gives them a ton of experience to work with. And Clayton also he brings you matchups. And then the other one's Nico Baldor is coming back to work for his MBA. So you know, a lot of people might say, "Well, Nico, you know, he didn't play much last year. Uh, he didn't do that well when he came in from Miami." But you know, Nico's a guy that a lot of the he's unsung here on that team sort of where he'll come in and do whatever they ask of him. And he knows that, I mean, obviously he'd love to play and start, but he knows what his role is. And he's a, he, he's a kid that accepts it. You know, he comes in, he'll put a bunt down for you or he'll play first. He'll play outfield. And, you know, when I was talking to me about a month ago, he just told me just he's an amazing teammate at the end of the day. So they got, they got a bunch of young talent and they got a bunch of experience there. So they got all the, all they could ask for back.
3: So you talk about scholarships, you talk about partial scholarships. What is super interesting is the idea of these dual sport athletes that have come about. Um, we heard Mike Martin Jr. himself, like mentioned a few weeks ago, when they said they were looking at a few guys, Mike Norvell said they were in on a few guys that play sports, they look for that kind of athlete, you know, don't get in trouble. But, you know, any like insight you can share a little bit on that end, like, or just the relationship that Mike Martin Jr. and Mike Ovello was other than just having the same first name
4: yeah no well it's not just Mike and Mike it's Mike and Mike and Mike with uh, Mike, Mike Metcalf as uh, well but you know there's a couple of kids out there that they've been working with the football team with one can I confirm they are recruiting on both sides football and baseball is Riley Quick a four-star offensive tackle on Alabama no a kid that a lot of people think is going to go to Alabama but You know, baseball can really help out there, and he is a kid that uh, is somebody that they would really want, I think, on the on the baseball side of things because they have about they have about four prototypes that they like to fit. And for right, he's tall, right-handed pitcher, about six foot six. He's only like two fifty right now, probably fill out for football, but could come back to baseball and maybe lean out a little bit. Super projectable kid, super raw. Been up to about ninety one on the mound, but. Yeah, they're they're all in on dual dual sport kids, and they're willing to help hound as much as possible. I think because they love athletes over there on the baseball field. I mean, Mike Martin Jr. talked a lot about he wants athletes, he wants to play aggressive, he wants to have projectable kids, he wants to have those big monsters on the mound. So you know they'll work as hard as they can with them.
3: That's a get uh, rather quick looking like CeCe Sabathia out there. We don't know if we have to lean him out. <laughs> all right, well. Brett, thank you. Uh, today we'll be talking to Mike Martin Jr., I believe, on a Zoom call. See who else we get on there. Uh, if you do not follow Young Brett on Twitter, it's Brett PN. Follow him on Twitter. Thank you for listening. Uh, tune in. Saturday we'll have instant recaps posted immediately after the game. And then Monday we'll have our full breakdown subscribe rate five stars tell all your friends tell your mom both of our moms are avid listeners and fans of our work so get your mom on the train too Um, go moms yeah go moms and with that that's a wrap coach how are you
1: i'm great how are you doing
3: thank you for asking i Um, like the mustache oh thank you it is actually just a terrible shaving job on my part I just well, was terrified of cutting my nose.
1: Halloween's um, coming up so That's a yeah,
3: I'm not <laughs> creating as somebody who can grow facial hair. Uh, <laughs>